As announced earlier, we're starting a new series for the next few weeks, and it relates back to something I was speaking on some weeks ago, I think on July the 10th actually, and it's to do with understanding our minds. And we haven't dropped our theme of the sower and the soils. Paul, what's your job? How many farmers do I have here this morning? Ah, good. Okay, you're remembering something. That's really good. That's excellent. Well, don't forget that. But actually, we're going to continue in the world of work theme in our new title of Thinking Outside the Box. And I want to ask you to do something kind of distressing this morning. I know you come to church to feel better, but for five minutes, I'm going to make you feel worse. And I'm going to make you feel worse in the worst way possible. Think about going to work tomorrow. (laughs) I can hear the groans coming back at me. That's ruined your day, hasn't it? Think about going to work tomorrow. Now, from your reaction there, some of you aren't the most enthusiastic about turning up for work tomorrow. Maybe work isn't as exciting or fun, but you know what? There are good jobs out there. Some jobs are actually fun to do. I've got a little video clip of a job to show you, which would be kind of fun to turn up and do tomorrow morning. I think we would all look forward to this one, if we can get it going. Keep watching. That looked like good fun to turn up with on Monday. But anybody fancy doing that tomorrow morning at work instead of what you're doing? There's a few hands up there. Instead of a boring day in the office or in front of the computer screen or with customers being horrible to you, you could, stand, you could start your day off doing that. And Particularly good if you've had a bad weekend or you feel in a grumpy mood or you've got out of bed the wrong way. You could really take it out on your job, couldn't you, and enjoy smashing down that house. So with that in mind, we're going to come back to there. But... Um, I want to look at the scripture and look at our theme for thinking or think outside the box. So let's look at our scripture. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up 
against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Today we're going to look at some more of this to understand the power of our thoughts and especially the power they have over us and our lives. And the good news is this, we're not helpless. There is something we can do. We're not powerless or a prisoner to all of this. There is an amazing, effective and life-changing thing that we can do that can set us free in the area of our thinking so that we can rule over our thoughts and they won't rule over us. Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you now for your word. We thank you that you want us to live a life that is reflective of you. You want us to live a life that glorifies you and receives your blessings. A life as life should be. A life that Jesus called life and life to the full or life in abundance. And Lord, this morning we pray through your word, you'll set us free now from every thought every attitude, every wrong pattern of thinking that prevents us from inheriting and receiving and living in that incredibly amazing, abundant, blessed, wonderful life that you have for each one of us. Father, speak to us through your word now, we pray, and by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So what we want to do to get into this is look at this passage in some more depth. And I want to start by picking out three things in this passage just to give us a feel for what it's about and uh, by way of introduction. And here are some parts from the passage I want to focus on, first of all. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Now, the first thing I'd like to say about this passage, if you go right to the end of the passage, it talks about obedience to Christ. This passage is about Christ. Although there's a lot to do with us and what's going on in spiritual terms, it's actually about Christ. The goal in all of this is Christ. The destination we're heading towards, the intended outcome of all of this teaching is Christ. It's that we would actually be more obedient to him, not just on the outside, but also on the inside, where our spiritual life is and where all our life springs from. Does anyone want more of that? Good. Second thing about this passage we've read is, it is about war. The passage starts with declaring a war. It's a war that goes on inside of you and me. A lot of the time, it's a war that's invisible to everybody else. We are waiting in the queue at the bus. We are standing in line at the canteen to get something to eat. We are sitting down watching the TV with our family. But inside, unknown to anybody else, a secret, private war is going on. And this passage is about that war. We said... Or I said in the previous message that I spoke here on the 10th of July that our mind is the battlefield where God and the devil do battle. And our thoughts are how that battle works its way out. And 
There is a war constantly raging between God and the enemy. And from time to time, we feel the pressure and the power of that war inside of us. Now, a few years ago, there was a couple who had a couple of children, and they were quite scared on behalf of their family. And the reason they were scared is this. They lived at the end of the 1970s, beginning of the 80s, if any of you know about such times. Most of you weren't born, it seems. But anyway, um, that seemed terribly modern to me at the time. And this couple were worried about the state of the world because we were in what was called then the Cold War. And we were right at the height of that Cold War. There was a big standoff between East and West, and they were all pointing these kind of missiles at each other. And we were all fearful that one day the, the unthinkable would happen and this terrible all-out war would happen. And of course... If you're somewhere like England, you're right underneath all of that. You don't even have to go to war yourself. The fallout falls on you. And it's a bit like that between God and the devil. There are two kingdoms in conflict, whether we're involved with it or not. But we catch the fallout, and the fallout is enough to make you feel pretty bad. So this couple, they decided that the northern hemisphere was too dangerous for them to live in. And they wanted to get away to somewhere safer. So they did their research and they felt that the best, safest place to be was in the south, southern hemisphere. And they chose a little group of islands to go and live in. And in 1982, they moved in to that group of islands. And a couple of months later, war broke out, unfortunately, between Argentina and England in the Falkland Islands over that group of islands. And they suddenly found themselves with less than 2,000 other civilians occupied and between a war between two armies. You see, sometimes you just can't escape a war. You can run, but you can't hide. And it's the same with this spiritual war. This spiritual war is going to go on whatever we do or don't do, because it is between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. It's between God and the devil. There is a war, and we catch the fallout. And believe me, as many of you will know from your own personal testimony, The fallout is bad enough. We cannot escape this war. And thirdly, this passage is about our thought life. Sandwiched in the middle of Christ and this war is our thought life. And that's what we've been saying in previous messages here. That this is the place where the war takes place. This is where it all happens inside our minds. And according to our thought life, and the way we think. Now, you'll notice the devil is not alone in his side of the war. He's got some allies, and his ally is called the world in this passage. Now, we need to understand what the Bible means by this phrase, the world. It means society. It means people when they organize themselves and get together and do things without reference to God. It means people's own best ideas and good ideas, but not God's. And the Bible says that that society, that coming together with the best ideas that we can come up with, but without God, that world is allied to God's enemy, Satan, 
And that that world tries to impress itself on our minds day after day after day. It tries to bring into our heads ideas and thoughts and ways of looking at things and beliefs and so on. And the trouble is, not all of it seems bad. But it is still allied to the enemy and not to God. And that's probably a a big thing for Christians to understand, but a really, really important thing. This ally, the world, is not God's ally. We'll see that as we go through this passage in just a moment. But just to say here, we can help ourselves by bearing that in mind so that every time we hear that little voice in our head saying to ourselves, but what would they think? Who is this mysterious they, by the way? Everybody seems to think about what would they say? What would they think? Well, whoever they are, they are not God. Now, I'm not talking here about being dense or not receiving counsel or not getting good advice. And I'm not talking here about doing dumb things. And I'm talking here about being streetwise. That's okay. But there's another kind of thinking which is not God's way of thinking. And that's what we need to be so aware of is an ally of the enemy. And that's what we need to be saying no to in our lives. So, what do we do in the face of this warfare and of this thinking and pattern of thinking and ways of thinking that come into our lives, either from inside us or from outside of us or some combination of the two, that brings that warfare really alive inside of us? What do we do in the face of all that? Well, I've been teaching you for the last several weeks that you have a number one job, which is to be a farmer. Well, I'm going to give you a little part-time job as well and make you work hard. So as well as being a farmer, you have another job as well. Now, let's just see if I can get some help here. I was going to choose a guy for this, but I think we should have a a young lady for this. Um, One of these young ladies on the front here, Roxana or Jane. Who's going to volunteer to come up here? Do one of you want to come up and uh, join me up here? Come on, Roxana. (laughs) Come on up onto the stage. This is a job where you need to be pretty tough. And I thought, well, you know, girls can be mega tough as well as boys, can't they? There's no, there's no gender difference here. So, Roxana, come over here. Now, you're going to struggle with this. I think you don't really look the part. So do you mind if we kind of just dress you? So if you can just lose the jacket a moment and hand that down to Jane and the scarf. And maybe we can uh, help you dress it. I think these are kind of a slightly bit bigger size here, but I don't think you're going to need the shoes either. So can I, can I just ask you to uh, slip off the shoes? I've got some footwear for you that's a bit more exclusive. And Right, here you go. Right, do you reckon you can sort of elbow your way into that somehow or other? It's a big size, so you should be sort of generous. Oh, yes. What's behind you? There's a light behind us. There we go. Well, that's it. Now you look like Paul Corelius going to work. That's, that's very good. Now, we need a couple of other things. We need something on your feet here. It's going to be a little bit big for you, but they are steel toe cap boots, okay? So... You could be a good Newcastle supporter in those. No, maybe not. Right, here we go. Now, a bit more... Um, let's get this on you as well here. Cause we're not... 
you go. Maybe I can adjust this for you. See if, this has had Steve's head in it, so it should be big enough for you. Now that's uh, not. Uh, is that too tight, or is that all right? All right? You'll be fine, will you? Okay. Um, bit of um, now, a bit of eye protection here, and some gl- hand protection. Get get those on. They really don't make this stuff for girls, do they? It's just sort of a bit um, bit unstylish, really. I think there's a place in the market for. Can you get those on of your glasses there. So you thought you were going to escape because you're not doing the children's work today, didn't you? Now there's just one more thing I need to give you to go with this. You need some. You need some handy tools here. So right, we're going to give Anna one of these as a wedding present for a couple of weeks' time. I think it could be very useful for her. Okay, there we are. You got that? Okay. Now, please take a step forward so everyone can see you here. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, I present you with the typical Christian. That's what you should look like as a Christian every day as your part-time job and as your secret job. The job everybody sees you doing is the job of the farmer, and you've got to be dressed a little bit differently to that. You probably get away with that as a farmer as well. But secretly, when nobody sees, this is how you've got to be dressed. Your job is to be a demolition worker. That's because, I'll, I'll let you put the hammer down now, it's a bit heavy, isn't it? Let's just, let's just, but don't go away yet. When it comes to this battle that goes on in our minds and in our thought life, the key word in this passage is to demolish. Now, actually, it's fun knocking things down. I can remember some years ago, I asked in church if somebody or some folk would come and help me build a little wall in my back garden. Saturday came and no one turned up. So I was on my own to build a wall. Well, about a month later, I wanted to knock out a concrete base in an old building. So I said in church, does anyone want to come and help me destroy and knock down this old building in my garden? Well, six people turned up and they brought their own sledgehammers. And before I could stop them, they were out there smashing and bashing and and hammering the thing into the ground. I thought, hang on a minute here. What does this say about human nature? Perhaps we like a bit of destruction. Perhaps we like a bit of bashing things down. Well, the good news is when it comes to this warfare, demolition is the key. The key thing you and I are called to do is to demolish. Now, have you ever had a go at demolishing anything? I'll tell you how badly fallen human nature has gone. This is part of fallen human nature. My, my friends, when I was growing up, before I became a Christian, were all into motorbikes. And... I'll say they rather than we, you understand, because I wouldn't associate with this sort of behavior. Um, But um, they would get on their motorbikes and they would take hammers like this, that little lump hammer down there, and they would visit the old airdrome that was a few miles from our city. And there were the old RAF buildings from the Second World War. And they went around and smashed every single window in the place with hammers like that. Terrible, isn't it? What bad human behavior. But they did it because it was fun. Actually, the government came along and knocked the whole thing down later, so they liked to think they started things off and gave them a hand and weren't breaking the law. Please don't go and do that sort of thing, by the way. But you know what? Demolition can be fun if you get the, the feel for it. I 
feel like turning you loose on some part of the church building now and starting you off out there, but perhaps we better not. Okay, you can go and take a seat for a moment, but um, don't undress too much because I want you back in a moment. Is that all right? You can take the hat off, though, and uh, sit, make yourself comfortable. And uh, uh, oh, yeah, so you better take the sh- you better get you better have your own. Sh- okay, you got to keep the shoes on. They say so off you go then. Looks like she's walking on the moon, doesn't he? As a deep sea diver. So what is it we're demolishing? We are demolishing not just any old buildings, but big, strong, well-built, secure buildings that you probably didn't even realize were there. Strongholds, castles, and fortresses. Did you know that up until a few years ago, the Bank of England had a, a special place outside of London where they kept some of their wealth? just in case anything happened to London, I guess. Do you know where they put it? It was in Newcastle. In the centre of Newcastle, there was a gigantic, strong building built there for the Bank of England to store gold and precious metals. They, 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 they left it a few years ago, and it got knocked down about one or two years ago. How about that? Newcastle was the other place where the wealth of the country was kept. And it was this giant fortified building with extra strong floors to hold up all that weight of gold. And you probably didn't even realize it was there. It's not just visible castles and famous castles like Bambra Castle up the coast somewhere. This is hidden secret strongholds that nonetheless are well built and hard to demolish. But that's what we're about doing. Our job is to demolish the strongholds of the enemy. And where you find those strongholds, we find them inside ourselves and in society out there. We find some of those strongholds on the TV. We find them in the newspapers. We find them especially online. We find them in the conversations we have with people. And when you hear their ideas and their thoughts and their values and their priorities come out, And challengingly enough, we find them in our own heads when our own thoughts are going off inside of us. But wherever we find those strongholds, we have a calling and a responsibility and the incredible fun of knocking them down. Anybody up for a bit of demolition work? Paul is. I thought your job was to build things up rather than knock them down, but perhaps you like a bit of both. He likes the pleasure of breaking things first, he says. Okay. Well, let's have a look then at the middle part of this passage. And there are four words that help us understand our thought life and what goes on. And what they are is that it starts with a stronghold and it ends up with a thought. And it goes backwards because it's obviously demolishing something. It starts with the big and it ends up with the small. So here's my stronghold behind me here. Built up of lots of individual ones of these. This is a thought. Roxana, why didn't you come back again? Have you disappeared if she's going? Come on back on the stage a minute. Come and stand behind this wall of boxes here. Oh, yes, yeah, she's changed her shoes. Well, she, she's all right there for the moment. Now, just, just have a little look through here. Put your head through for everybody. Give them all a wave. 
Now you see, this is what a lot of people are like. This is what you and I can be like. We can have an area in our life that is walled in and as time goes by, we keep adding layer after layer, block after block, and eventually, sorry about this, your Hollywood career is over. We end up like that, shut off from the world, from God, in that particular area of our lives. And so this passage starts with this, a stronghold, and it ends up with thoughts. So what we're going to do is, is reverse the order and start with a thought and show you how we got to have this stronghold in the first place. Thank you, you can sit down now, but we'll get you back in a minute. Now, the basic building block of this stronghold is one of these. It's called a thought. A mental perception. I put the Greek word up there, noema. It's to do with the word nous or mind. Something that comes out of our minds. A thought. A simple, single thought. Now, how it should work is that every day as thoughts come into our minds, we should examine that thought and not just let it rush through and, and take off somewhere. We say, is that thought a Jesus thought or not? And if it isn't, we quickly get rid of it. We say to ourselves, that is the wrong thought. That is the wrong idea. I'm not going to have that. Go in the name of Jesus. That's not the way Jesus thinks. That's not according to the word of God. But if we don't, we get into trouble. Now, the, the Bible word for dealing with thoughts normally is the word to lead away captive. So if you imagine this stage, uh, the, the bottom layer here is good thinking. As long as it's like this, we're thinking well. And here's this one random thought here that's popped itself onto that platform to make things out of order. Well, what do we do with that thought? Well, the Bible says we take it captive. We lead it away captive. And we, we say, what are you doing there? You shouldn't be out there. Ah, come here, quick. Let's build that into a proper place or get rid of it. That cannot be there. We take it captive. Have you ever seen the police operate a zero-tolerance policy? I was in a city once where they did. It was very interesting. I was coming out of the house where I was staying, and this was quite a nice area of the city, and they didn't allow these guys that wash your windscreen or, or stand on the street corners and try and sell you something. They allowed none of that. And the streets were clear because they thought the minute one person does it, it attracts other people to do it. So I thought, well, I've been told about this. And I thought, well, okay, that's the way they do things in this country. That's, that's their way. Well, we drove down the road a few, few meters, and straight away there were these people on the street. And even while we were driving, this police van pulled up, three policemen jumped out, arrested them all, and took them off. I mean, there was no mercy. They were not prepared to allow these people to do what they were doing on the street. It didn't seem so bad, did it? But they knew that one starting would lead a lot of other people to doing the same thing, and then it would lead to other things, and eventually it would lead to disturbance and crime and so on. 
So they operated this zero-tolerance policy. They led these people away captive. Immediately they appeared on the streets. And it's the same word that's used here for us. We need to lead away captive every single thought that begins to break out from where it should be in our minds. Every single thought that breaks out of the goodness of God and the kindness of God and the grace of God, we need to quickly spot it and deal with it. Now, many of you as students or having been students will know that as a student you you take your jobs where you can get them like holiday jobs and you just take on any job for a few weeks to earn some money so I was offered a job working in a bottling plant a couple of times and this was a a very noisy environment very unpleasant environment to be in but one of my jobs was to inspect the bottles and the liquid going along this line of uh, this factory line And every bottle had to be inspected, first of all, for any breakages or damage or dirt that was still in it. They were all cleaned up. And then they came along this line. Then they were filled up. And before they were capped, they had to come past you. And you had to look at them and make sure there was no breakages in the bottle. They were all properly filled, not underfilled. And there was no foreign matter or or object in the bottle that you could see. And they would rattle along. It's really noisy. Where are these sort of ear defenders? But, of course, it's quite hard to see in the bottle. So what they did for us, they put, as the line came past, they put behind it, it was a special screen, a white, clear, a white screen, so that we had a background to view the bottle against. And they put special lights above it as well to shine on the front of the bottle, to shine through the bottle, so that you could see the bottle in the best possible light against the best possible background. And that helped you spot if there was a fault or a flaw in one of the bottles. And if there was, you quickly had to pick it off the line and put it in a crate next to you, and it was taken off and examined and just uh, looked at in case any, any, you know, it affected any other bottles and they had to stop the line or something. Now, it was such intense work, we were only allowed to do it for 30 minutes. They took you off it after 30 minutes and put you on another job, and then after an hour or two later, they brought you back. So they were constantly rotating people in and out of this job because it takes a lot of energy and a lot of concentration to keep your eyes focused on these bottles. You know, I used to go to sleep at night, so seeing these bottles going past me, it was was that sort of intense. But, you know, there's something like that that we have to be like as Christians with our thoughts. That as the thoughts come past us, we need the backdrop of the Word of God to measure uh, against. We need a special light shining on our thoughts, the Holy Spirit. So as our thoughts come past us one by one, We're constantly subjecting them to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God for scrutiny. And if there's one on there that's improper or wrong, we have to grab that one out and put it elsewhere to be dealt with and not leave it to process itself and progress itself in our lives. Of course, that takes energy. That takes concentration. If we're putting our concentration and energy into that, we can't be putting our energy and concentration into other things. But this is a priority. This is something we need to be giving ourselves to of first importance. In the normal daily Christian life, when we're dressed like Roxana is dressed there, when we see ourselves as a demolition worker, when we're dealing with those thoughts, we are constantly removing things from the bottle line. We're constantly 
challenging our thoughts and bringing them into line with who Jesus is and what he's about. Now, even Jesus had to do this. Do you remember he was tempted in the wilderness? Now, how do we know he was tempted in the wilderness? There was nobody else there. The only way we could know, because it all took place inside his head, is if he told his disciples. He must have told them what was going on inside his mind. He said, guys, when this kind of thing happens to you, this is how you deal with it. This is what I've had to deal with, and you will have to deal with it as well. So Jesus must have said this to his disciples and taught them in this way. It says in one of the Gospels that when the devil had finished every temptation, so it wasn't just the three we read about, all kinds of thoughts were going through Jesus' mind as he was in the wilderness. Every type and kind of temptation was being thrust upon his mind, and he had to deal with that. So it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to hear thoughts come into our head that are not good thoughts. The sin is in leaving them on the bottle line and not removing them and putting them out the way somewhere to be dealt with and cleaned up. But to have them is no condemnation to any of us. It happens to us all. It happened to Jesus. The secret is to deal with it straight away and at the time. If we don't, then that thought doesn't just stay as a thought. It goes on to do the next thing in the line that we're looking at with these four words. It goes on to become what we call a pretension, or hypsoma in Greek. It goes on to become a high thing. So what happens is the thought escapes from the Jesus part of our mind. The thought escapes from that wonderful relationship with God, and it becomes a high thing. It breaks out of the boundaries of where it should be, and the passage says it raises itself up. It says, well, I think I should get priority in your mind. I think you should listen to me. I think you should do what I say. And it suddenly lifts itself up to, hey, don't worry about that God stuff. What about me? I've got an idea for you. I can make you happier than that Bible. I can make you happier this morning than going to church. I can make you happier than going to your cell this week. Why don't you listen to me? And it raises itself up and wants to take a place of influence and even authority in our lives. So that's what happens immediately we, if we don't deal with it. It starts to raise up and it starts to exert its influence on us, not in a good way. It's not just evil or bad thoughts either. This can be good thoughts that aren't the right thoughts. And what do I mean by that? In the early days of the house church movement, I can remember oftentimes being told by, by great leaders that we had back then, still around today, guys like Dave Richards, and they would say things like, we're not interested in good ideas, we're interested in the kingdom. Now, what you have as your good idea may or may not actually be what God wants. It might seem good to you, it might not seem bad to anybody else, but it may not be good and right for you. So about a year or two after Dave said that to me, uh, I was at university and a young guy there had this good idea. 
And he said, well, Clive, he was in the Christian Union, he was part of the fellowship we're involved with there, and he said, I've got this idea, so I'm going to go and do this in my summer holidays. And straight away, a little warning bell went off in my spirit. And I said to him, I said, do you think that's a good idea? He said, oh, yes, I think it's a very good idea. So that's the problem. Is it God's idea or just a good idea? Well, I, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad. There's nothing harmful. And it wasn't. It wasn't a bad idea. He was going to go off in a car journey with three other guys up to Scotland and have a bit of a holly with them. Now, I know these guys were Christians. They didn't mean him any harm particularly, but it wasn't the best fellowship for him. And this feeling just came to me. This isn't a good idea. And so being the kind of person I am, I said nothing. No, not really. I said to him, do you think that's a really good idea? Because it doesn't feel right to me. And this is where we need to be open to hearing the Lord through others. Oh, no, he said it'll be fine. And he, he was sure this Noema, or sorry, this Shupsoma, this, this thought that had raised itself up in his head, he felt sure this was a good idea. I, I don't think so. So we, we go on holiday. And then I receive a message on my answer phone. Please, can you phone? Graham's in hospital. What had happened was the car had been on the journey and on the way to Glasgow, it was involved in an accident. The car burst into flames and Graham was the only one that got out alive. He smashed a window. He was burnt down the side of his head and neck and arm. They dragged him out, but the other three perished in the car accident. You understand, sometimes our good ideas are not good ideas. You see, I tried to say to him, this doesn't feel right. But without any evidence, what can you say to somebody? Is this a God idea? Is this one of these shopsomers? Is this a thought that's raised itself up and presented it to you as some good idea? Oh, it's going to be fine. But actually, it isn't going to be fine. Well, what's wrong with going on a holiday with three of your friends? Nothing if it's in the will of God and plan of God. But if the Holy Spirit is putting a check on it and saying, actually, that may sound a good idea, but it's not the kingdom of God idea. Oh, dear. Thank God he got out with his life. But we saw him in college, you know, when he got back in, in October and he was skin grafts on his neck. You could see where he was burned. And, it, you know, it was a tragic time for him. Some of the guys, you know, we organized, went to visit him where he lived in his part of the country. He was, he was blessed by God to escape with his life. And this is how it goes. Sometimes people come to Sally and me as pastors and they say, I want to do this in life. And we have to say to them, listen, a desire is not the same thing as ability. You may want something, and it may be a good thing, but if that want is a hypsoma, if it's one of these pretensions, it's raised itself up above the level of God thinking in your life. Say, hey, take attention, pay attention to me. Why don't you do what I say? This will be good for you. We've known people like that. Come to us utterly convinced this is the right thing to do. A career move. This is going to be good for me, this job. And for a little while it seems okay. But then, it doesn't go so well. And then they end up in difficulty and in trouble, wishing they'd never taken the job probably in the first place. So it's not just bad thoughts I'm talking about here. Now, bad thoughts can do a whole lot of harm to us as well. But we need to be aware of all thoughts that raise themselves up, present themselves as God, present themselves as as good as God, and this is going to be all right for us. Beware the good idea. 
Now, if we don't deal with it at that point, it can go on and collect other thoughts with it. Now, the next stage is what Paul calls in his, uh, in his passage here an argument. And that's the Greek word. Can we have the next slide up, please? Logismon. Now, can you see a word there that kind of comes across into modern-day English? Logic. Logic. So the, the Greek word logismon gives us a clue as to what this is about. This is a technical legal word that lawyers used in the day. Even in those days, lawyers were getting rich. And they would go to court and they would present your case before the judge. If you want another word for argument, it's a case. You build a case for yourself. You build a case for this kind of behavior. You build a convincing argument to tell yourself this thing is all right. You build a convincing case to say, well, it may be okay for them, but for me, I'm doing it like this. And here's how it works. One thought raises itself up and it collects another thought with it. Well, if that, then that. And if that, then that, well, then this. And they start to build up a chain of arguments in our thinking. Now, you can see where we're going with all of this, isn't it? It's easier to deal with it when it's just one thought. The quicker you deal with it, the less energy and the swifter it is to get it dealt with. The longer we leave it go on, the harder it gets. The more substance this thing collects around it. You know, like the snowball. Have you ever tried to make a snowman? You, you start with a snowball. You start rolling it around the garden. It picks up more snow. And in the end, it's this gigantic ball that you can then make into the body of the snowman. And it's like that. As you roll these thoughts around, they pick up and collect more stuff, more thoughts. And then we have this argument and case. And listen, this isn't just in people. We've got these arguments and cases out in our society all the time. They have built whole philosophies, whole ways of thinking, whole ways of passing laws by building on one thought after another, after another like this. You can see now how dangerous one thought is if it's outside of God. And so it builds up like this. And that then becomes an argument in our life, a case, a reason for doing that thing. Even though everybody else doesn't do it, it's all right for me to do it. Now, the Bible says something about that. It says in Proverbs 18, verse 1, different translations try to translate this different ways because it's a little bit difficult to translate the Hebrew language here. But it, uh, the best translation, um, sorry, it's, it's not that verse, it's a different one. Uh, Proverbs 18, 1 says this, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Now, I remember the first time I really read this and it registered with me. It's when the Holy Spirit took it out of the page and really impacted to my heart. And he did that to show me that I was building a case for myself. Church is fine for everybody else, but you don't really fit in. They don't really love you. This was when I was a young Christian and struggling with all that kind of rejection and, and stuff that you, you may have in those days, and maybe even today. And the Holy Spirit said to me, look, if you separate yourself, you're going off seeking your own desire and wants and thoughts. You're quarreling against all sound wisdom. You're not a special case. 
There isn't some get-out clause for you that other people don't have. And what a logismon does, what this argument does, it builds up thoughts in our minds to say, well, I know the Bible says this, and I know people say that, but I don't have to do that. I can do this other thing instead. And we build a case for ourselves against the advice of others, against what the Bible says, against what we know, and yet we still allow that case to be built up. And here's the danger for us. Out there in the world, somebody's already made that case as well. And if you search long enough on the internet or ask enough people for advice, you'll find somebody that will give you your argument. Then, then of course, we say to ourselves, well, I knew it. There, they've just told me what I want to hear. It's unwise to put ourselves in a special case. Do you know what? We're all the same here this morning. Jesus died for every one of us. He paid the same price for you and for me. The Bible says we're all acceptable in the beloved. Everybody belongs amongst God's people. Not one of us is any less worthy of being here. We're all equally precious, equally special, equally valuable, equally loved by God, and equally have a right to be amongst God's people, living, loving, ministering, serving, taking part in the fullness of the body of Christ. Doesn't matter what our past, what mistakes we've made before, God loves us and forgives us and includes us. We don't need special cases for ourselves. Our society is riddled with thinking to try and make special cases for all kinds of people. Beware of the special case pattern of thinking. So that's what happens with this argument when it builds up. And then, of course, when you get layers of these things, it becomes what we call a stronghold. This means a castle or a fortress. It also means, when I was looking it up in the Greek lexicon, anything on which we rely. How about that? Not just a a physical castle or a fortress, somewhere like Windsor where the Queen lives. It means anything on which we come to rely. It also means arguments and reasonings by which someone with a disagreement seeks to strengthen his opinion and defend it. We could call this defensiveness, if you like. I remember being in a meeting church leaders and it was Steve Thomas chairing at the time and he says Clive stop being so defensive I'm not being defensive well of course that's the most defensive thing you can say isn't it so I was sort of floored by my own words there I'm not being defensive why would you think I'm being defensive of course I'm not being defensive and they're all looking at me and laughing at me I must be being defensive (laughs) that's what leads us into a stronghold now Once we have a stronghold situation, can I have my stronghold lady back, please? You can bring your hat and boots. You won't need quite. Bring bring all your gear. I won't make you put them on quite yet because we haven't got there yet. Take up your place in your stronghold there, Roxana. A strong castle is actually associated with being a prison. Have you ever been to visit around a castle somewhere, like Warwick Castle or? you know, Walkworth Castle and these other castles we've got around here in the northeast as well. You often find there's a place right in the deepest depths at the centre where they kept the prisoners. I mean, you keep all those people out and anybody that's going to rescue you is about as far from you as they could possibly be behind walls and a river and a drawbridge and boiling oil and knights in armour and all that kind of stuff. 
And then there you are in the deepest dungeon in the center of that castle. See, a stronghold is a prison. Which one of us voluntarily wants to live in a prison? And yet every time we have a stronghold in our minds, we're volunteering for a part of our lives to be put in prison. John Bunyan, the famous uh, pastor, Christian leader who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was put in prison for nine years in Bedford Jail at the end of the 17th century, all because he prayed and wouldn't read a prayer from a book. That was what he was put in prison for. Nine years prison for just praying out of his own heart. Wow. Britain was supposed to be in a Christian country. Can you believe that? And while he was in prison, he wrote this famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. After the Bible, it's the biggest selling book in the history of the world. It's a remarkable book. It's like a big parable of the Christian life. And at one point, Christian, who the book is about, and his friend Faithful, are imprisoned in a castle. And you don't want to be imprisoned in a castle. It's not a nice place. The castle is called Despair. And it's lorded over by a man called, or a giant called Doubt. And every day, Doubt comes into the prison with a whip and he beats them and thrashes them in that prison cell and then goes out and locks the door again. Every day it's like that when you're in despair. Who wants to live in a prison like that? That's a stronghold. They get out of it in the end. They find a key. The key is called promise. And one of them remembers just one of the promises of God. Do you know, it's a remarkable thing. If you can get a Rema now Holy Spirit word to you from the scripture, it will be like a key and a promise to unlocking the door and escaping that prison of a stronghold. It's one of the secrets to getting out of prison. And of course, what people do when they get into strongholds is they stop reading their Bible. It's the worst thing you can do because the place where all the keys are found are in the Bible. That's where the unlocking of the door takes place. You should be reading your Bible more when you're in despair, not less. More when you're in a stronghold, not less. But strongholds want to keep us from having a Bible in there with us. Let me just give you a definition of a stronghold from a pastor called Ed Silvoso. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable situations we know are contrary to the will of God. Strongholds are Satan's secret weapon. He uses them to control our behavior and to blackmail us. I'll read that to you again. A stronghold, it's up there, great. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable situations we know are contrary to the will of God. Strongholds are Satan's secret weapon. He uses them to control our behavior and to blackmail us. Anybody want to be blackmailed or controlled? Well, they don't have any strongholds. That's the obvious solution there. Now, why is it so important to deal with strongholds? Well, imagine you are a king invading a country. Let's say you come to the northeast of England and you step onto the shores and all the people say, ah, and they all run away from you and run down south somewhere. And they leave the land free. And as you're walking inland, you spot this gigantic castle at Bambra or somewhere like that. And you say to yourself, well, that's just a, a few hundred square meters or a few thousand square meters of castle. It's not very much. We'll leave that there. We own all the rest of this land. What's going to happen if you move into that land? All the knights in armor, all the soldiers that are inside that castle, all ready for battle, 
the minute you're asleep at night, they're going to open the drawbridge, they're going to come out, and they're going to finish you off, and you won't even know anything's happened to you. You can't afford to leave a stronghold there because it contains an army of the enemy that is against you. You have to deal with the stronghold if you want to live securely and peacefully in the land. And it's the same with our minds. If we have strongholds in our minds, we can't ignore them because they will not allow us to live peacefully and in victory in the land. We have to deal with them. Otherwise, we'll never get that peace and joy and abundant life that God promises us in Scripture. This is what it says in Proverbs. One who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the stronghold in which they trust. If we are wise, we will go up against strongholds. If we are switched on, if we understand what's going on here, we will see our job as to pull down every stronghold we come across because that's how it was to the Apostle Paul. If he came across a stronghold, whether it was in an individual's life, whether it was in society, whether it was in some debating hall where he was in Athens, he would have a go at it. My job is to demolish strongholds. I do it inside my own mind and I do it out there in society. I do it when I meet a person individually here and I do it when I meet a group of people over here. I am not going to let strongholds pass. They need demolishing because they are the outposts of the enemy. And if I don't deal with them, they're going to come and deal with me. So I want to get in first. I want to seize the initiative. I want to get in there for God first and deal with what's going on in this situation. Now, here's a question for you. Do you remember anything you learnt at school at all? I mean, I hope you remember something. Now, I don't know with modern sort of curriculum whether they do this anymore. They probably don't. But once upon a time, we used to have something at school called history. Does anybody remember that? History at school. History is an older person subject. So at school, kids tend not to prefer history very much. I mean, some like it and a lot don't. They find it very tedious and boring. Now, do you remember the bits at school where they did English history and they did about castles and knights in armour and all that kind of stuff. Did you ever have to draw pictures of castles and walls around them and, and all that kind of stuff? I wanted to do the fighting, but they wouldn't let us do that at school. That, that, looked, that looked pretty good to me. If only we could build a castle and get some swords, we could have a good lesson, but they never allowed that. Well, why did they stop? We're coming back to you. We haven't forgotten about you, by the way. <laughs> She's in a stronghold here. We're making her feel good. Is it boring being in a stronghold? They're locking your... <laughs> They're doing something to your phone. Okay, well, we'll leave Roxana in her stronghold for a little bit longer before she gets deliverance. Now, we were building castles in this country from the time of the Normans through to the time of the English Civil War. So you're talking roughly from the the 10th century, end of the 11th century through to 17th century. So over about a six, seven hundred year period. Does anybody know why we stopped building castles? Cannons. That young man obviously had a good schooling and education. Castles had weapons that could be brought against them. Battering rams. Remember those like catapults they used, the trebuchet. You've seen all those films with that sort of thing. Orlando Bloom sort of waving to you from up there somewhere. Well, castles were pretty impregnable until they discovered gunpowder. No matter how thick and how big those walls are, they could not withstand the force of gunpowder, either placed underneath in barrels like you see in sort of Lord of the Rings and something like that, or firing off cannonballs that then hit the castle and smash down the walls. The power of gunpowder 
overcame the power of castles. Here's a picture here of a castle. This is Corfe Castle in Dorset, uh, right down in the south. And it fell in the Civil War. And it's a whopping structure. When you get inside, there's slabs of stone there. It's huge. But the power of dynamite wrecked it. It was never rebuilt. King John hung out there in his day. Um, found it a nice place to be. Other English kings went there. And it was a, it was a splendid castle, ha- hosted kings and royalty for centuries. But in the face of gunpowder, it was finished. And there's a lesson in that for all of us because uh, the, the, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, you're not on your own in this struggle. You don't have to put all of your willpower against all of that pressure from the enemy in the world. God has given us a secret weapon. It's called gunpowder. So let me just entertain you with some gunpowder um, videos for a moment, if we can get that one on there, please. This is what can happen when you use divinely powerful weapons. We can just switch over our screens in a moment. We'll show you. But once gunpowder had come along and once the cannon was invented, we never built castles again. That was the end of them for all time. And that's what we're looking for in our own minds to defeat these strongholds of thinking. Well, just talk quietly amongst yourself while we're waiting for this sort of slight technical... uh Tell you what, while we're waiting, are you, uh, while we're, are we all right there? Looks like we've crashed beyond, um, well, I tell you what we can do, Roxanne, let's give you some eyeglasses here. Roxanne, let's give you your gunpowder back. Here, imagine Roxanne has been bound up in a castle, a stronghold of thinking, all her life. Imagine there's some attitude here, some belief here that is contrary to the word of God, that's been raised itself up, has formed case after case, has been reinforced by things some people have said, and it's built itself up into this fortress. Now, here's the challenge for any Christian. The stronghold does not get knocked down from the outside. Nobody is going to come and break your castle down for you. There's only one thing. We have to, oh, yes, we've got a bit of entertainment here. Just have to hold on a moment, Roxanne.
Thank you, Gareth. Like, come on, you've got to admit, that does look like fun, doesn't it? I mean, would you like to go to work tomorrow morning and just, just have it all ready and just go, on that little plunge, whatever they do, that little plunger and do that? I mean, it'd be kind of great, wouldn't it, to settle that up, watch it all happening. Demolishing strongholds is fun, especially when you don't have to do a lot of work in the sense you've got this divinely powerful gunpowder to help you along. Imagine how long those buildings took to make. They took years, months, maybe years to build. All that labor, all that manpower, finished in a moment with some divine gunpowder. And it's the same with strongholds in our lives. That what's built up over 10, 20, 30, 40 years can be demolished in a moment. It can all come tumbling down like that. So here's Roxana imprisoned in this stronghold. And all the counseling and all the help and all the love and all the encouragement she's been given is all good stuff. But somehow, she's got to receive that promise from God, that word from God, that sense that this is not the will of God and I've been accepting it as God's will for me and it's not. And when she gets a hold of that, she then has the gunpowder and tools in her hand and when she takes all of those thoughts captive again to the knowledge of Christ, this is what happens. Go for it, Roxana. There you go. You're, this is all going to be over social media today. You do understand that, don't you? But uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Well done. Thank you very much. Okay, you can drop some of the stuff then. Go sit back down. Thank you for that. It finishes where it starts. It finishes where it starts. It starts with taking every thought captive to the knowledge of Christ. Now, when we say the knowledge of Christ, we don't mean information about Jesus. Remember, in the Bible, knowledge is relational. It's about knowing Jesus as a person, as a savior, as Lord, as friend, as master, as helper, as healer, as deliverer. That's the knowledge of Christ, to have a walking, talking, living, forgiving, embracing, life-fulfilling relationship with him. And when we take every thought captive to our knowledge of Jesus, I know he wouldn't want anything bad for me. I know he wouldn't want me to do that unless it was I know him. I know the way he is with me. He wouldn't speak to me. He wouldn't. When we take our thoughts captive to the knowledge of him, to our relationship with him, then those thoughts never build up to become a stronghold. And if they are a stronghold, then submitting those thoughts to Christ, taking them captive to the knowledge of him, immediately dynamites the whole stronghold and structure. And what years of patience and putting up with and even advice giving couldn't do in a moment... Christ can do by reestablishing that connection of relationship and goodness and faith and trust and hope in that area of our lives. We change from what that was, which is a can't change, won't change mentality, to this is for Jesus. Everything is given over in trust to him.
That's how we demolish strongholds. Brothers and sisters, I want to appeal to you today. Have a look around your mind. Wherever you find a stronghold, something that is entrenched and built up, not in accordance with the will and the word of God, take the dynamite to it. Become a demolition expert. Dress up like Roxana. See your job. See your calling as one to demolish strongholds. You know what? The more we do it in ourselves, the more we can do it in the lives of others. There's strongholds not just in here to challenge, but there's strongholds we'll meet in the lives of others every day. Some of them realize it. They know they're trapped and imprisoned. Others of them don't even realize it. But it's not enough just to walk by on the other side of the road and hope our society will get better. We have to demolish strongholds. Every thought that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Every argument that, that builds itself up that says, I'm a reason why we shouldn't follow God. Our job is to confront all of that and say, no, that's not God's way. That's not who God is. That's not how he loves. That's not how he cares. That's not his best for you or for me. That's when we demolish strongholds in us and in others. So before we finish, I want you to practice some stronghold demolishing techniques. Would you please stand? I'm going to give you four statements. And they're not particularly special. You can have your own statements. But you need to talk to yourself. We need to talk to ourselves in this kind of way. Here's the first one. I won't think like that anymore. Will you repeat that with me now? I won't think like that anymore. Now say it to yourself in your head a couple of times. Second one is similar. I refuse to have those thoughts. You say that with me? I refuse to have those thoughts. Let's say that to ourselves in our mind a couple of times. I refuse to have those thoughts. Here's one you'll recognize very well. It comes from Jesus himself. Get behind me, Satan. Say that together. Get behind me, Satan. Say that in our head a couple of times more. Something we haven't dealt with today, but we'll probably look at in cells, is the whole challenge of being double-minded, because a stronghold leads us into being double-minded. You understand what double-minded is? I have the good thought, but I keep the bad thought as well. So I have two thoughts challenging. You know, I, I, I want to give my summer holiday to mission for Jesus, but I also I want to go and earn a lot of money or something like that. Two, two conflicting thoughts. I can't be in two places at once, but I'll try and keep both things. Alive. I want to be a good Christian, but I also want this other thing as well. That's double-minded. And the Bible says then we're unstable, not just in that way, but in all our ways. So here's another thing. I won't be double-minded on this issue. Can you say that with me? I won't be double-minded on this issue. Now again, say it to yourself in your mind a couple of times. Now every one of those statements is a hammer for you to demolish strongholds. Every one of those statements. And the first time you say it to yourself, you might not get a result. You notice on some of those buildings there, when they set the dynamite off, the building didn't instantly fall, did it? There were quite a lot of explosions. 
they put charges all over the place. It was explosion after explosion after explosion. But you make enough explosions and what's going to happen? That building has to come down. You make enough challenges to that wrong pattern of thinking with those kind of statements and the building, the stronghold, the argument, the thought that's lifted up, the pretension will eventually come tumbling down. It has to. Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So here's my question by way of a conclusion. Am I ready to go to work as a demolition expert? Amen? Let's pray. As we pray, if you know there are Hupsomas, pretensions, thoughts that have raised themselves up. If you know there are logismo and arguments, logical cases you've made for yourself or something that's built up in your life like that, or a stronghold even, an entrenched pattern of thinking. If there's any of those in your life and you want to say this morning, enough is enough. I refuse to have that pattern of thinking anymore. I refuse to think that way anymore. I refuse to have those thoughts in my head. Get behind me, Satan. I refuse to be double-minded on this issue anymore. That is it. I'm finished with those thoughts. Get out of my head now. Get out of my head now. Go in the name of Jesus. If that's the way you're feeling this morning, I just want to invite you to raise your hand for the Lord or hand or hands for the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. I want to demolish these arguments and these strongholds in my life. I don't want to accept them anymore. I don't want to connect with the world the way everybody else thinks and does it. I want to connect with you and your word. I want to inspect the bottle as it goes past your word and your light of your Holy Spirit and, and change my pattern of thinking to live as I should live in the blessing I know I should have, in the peace that should be mine. Father, today... We stand before you in our weakness, in our human failings and frailty. And Lord, we ask you now to forgive us for every thought we've not taken captive to the knowledge of Christ. We ask you, Lord, to wash our minds with the blood of Jesus that we could be cleansed and healed and renewed in our thinking and our thought life. Father, we ask you today to give us grace and boldness and strength and a promise from you that we can take to those strongholds and those arguments and demolish them in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we say to those patterns of thinking in our mind, we say to those even good ideas that are not God ideas, we say, go in the name of Jesus. I refuse to have you in my life anymore. My thinking will be Jesus thinking. My thoughts will be in line with the word of God. My heart and will will be in line with the will of God. I say no to this way of thinking. No to these patterns. Let the strongholds come tumbling down in the name of Jesus. Walls be broken. Fortresses be reduced to rubble. Strongholds come smashing down now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to be those who take every thought obedient to the knowledge of Christ. We want to take every thought captive to obeying you, to knowing you, to pleasing you, because that's the place of freedom and liberty and life and blessing. Father, we pray, visit us now by the power of your Spirit and your grace in our minds and in our hearts to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. As we leave, can I encourage you one thing, please? Think outside the box. Think outside the box. Think Christ's thoughts. Don't be boxed in with the lesser thoughts of this world and the enemy. Think outside the box. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Don't forget the prayer meeting tonight.